All right, open up your Bibles this morning, Psalm 142. I want to wrap up the series we've been doing called Cave Time, Lessons in the Dark. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this. I think most people can relate to this because we, uh, we all go through cave times. And I wanted to remind you, I don't know where you're at right now in life, how you came here this morning. I'm hoping that all of you are on the mountaintop and you're, you've never been better. Uh, but I'd be foolish to believe that because I know with a group this size that uh, we come in a kind of a mixed bunch this morning. If you're on the mountaintop, Praise the Lord. You can help somebody else who's uh, maybe not. If you're in a cave this morning, I have some good news for you because Jesus Christ comes out of caves and he brings everything alive with him, all right? And he's, that's what we're celebrating on Sunday, the fact that Jesus came out of a cave and uh, he paved the way for the rest of us to get out of our caves. And so uh, I started off in Psalm 34. We talked about some cave principles. I told you that the devil likes to pile on and beat you up when you're going through a difficult time. I just saw Rachel Rower out there. Rachel, wave at me. Rachel, we love you. Good to see you. Sorry, I just, I just saw that smiling little face, and there she is. So good to have you with us. One of our Rohr graduates and one of the awesome people on planet Earth. So make sure you love on Rachel afterwards. Anyway, um, the devil likes to beat us up when we're down. Anybody say amen to that? He tells you God doesn't care. He tells you God doesn't, God's not doing anything. He tells you God's not seeing. He tells you God's not listening. Uh, and every one of those things are lies from the pit of hell. And you need to learn when you're going through a downtime that he is coming to body slam you. And he's coming to attack your thinking. And he's coming to rub it in. And that's when you need, something needs to rise up inside of you. And you need, you need to preach to yourself. And you need to tell yourself the truth. Because if you don't tell yourself the truth and you don't fight back, uh, he, just, he just piles on. And, he does, and I told my kids this the other day. We had a little family powwow. I said, look, you know, the devil hates our guts. Have you all realized that? The devil hates your guts. And he doesn't play fair. And he wants to destroy you. And he wants to keep you down. And he wants to keep you bound. That's just the way he operates. That's the way he rolls. And so you got to know his schemes, the Bible says. And you have to learn how to fight back. So I gave you some principles. And then we went to Psalm 57, uh, another cave psalm. And I gave you some cave practices. Like, what do you do when you're in a bad place? How many of you know it's important to know how to respond? If somebody needed CPR this morning, I would hope we would have people that knew how to do CPR. You wouldn't just sit there and stare at the person. You would start performing CPR on that person because there's things we can do to help somebody in distress. Guess what? There's things that we need to do when we are in distress. There's things that God expects from us. And I gave you some practices a couple of weeks ago. And I thought it was so good because second service apostles... um, preaching on David's life really dovetailed into what I was talking about because David was in one of those cave moments of his life when his family is kidnapped and, uh, and, and his own men want to stone him and he himself is distraught and thinking the worst perhaps that all of his family's been destroyed uh, and, uh, and David was in a difficult place but the Bible says David strengthened himself in the Lord. Notice it says David strengthened himself There was something David had to do. An apostle laid that out for us last week. There were certain behaviors that were required. And I just want to encourage you. It's like all the power of heaven is waiting on our behalf, but you just can't sit there. I can't sit there. We just can't check out. We can't have a pity party. We can't just, you know, woe is me. Here I am in the bottom of this cave. The whole purpose behind every one of these challenges is to build your faith and to build my faith. And how many of you figured out that if life 
constantly went smooth and you never had any challenges, you would never, ever have to exercise your faith for anything. You know, in light of eternity, this is a good perspective. In light of eternity, if you saw your life from God's perspective and you realized, as the Bible says, your life is a vapor, that's your life. It's gone. And then you go on and you live forever. God's goal in this vapor called life is to cause us through the challenges, the trials, everything that we go through, to cause our faith in Him to be strengthened and our intimacy with Him to go deeper than it's ever been before. How many of you know God uses the cave to train us? So don't curse the darkness. As they say, light a candle, right? Don't curse the cave. Begin to worship God in the cave and begin to see what it is that God's trying to teach us because the caves are not there because Satan creates caves. The caves are there because God has created a classroom in the school of the Holy Spirit where we learn how to encounter God in deeper ways. And so I want to talk today about the presence of God which is cultivated in the cave times that we're in. The presence of God that's cultivated. Look with me before I get there. First John 5, 4, talking about faith once again. I'm encouraging you not to waste the crisis that's maybe going on even in your life right now. In the midst of David's crisis, he got alone with the Lord and he stilled himself, he stilled his heart, and he began to seek the Lord. His faith was strengthened. Take a look at 1 John 5, 4. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory. How? Everybody say that with me. Through our faith. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve the victory through our faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That's what the devil is after. He's trying to attack your faith. That's what God's after. He's trying to grow, to grow our faith and to strengthen our faith. So look with me. We're going to be in Psalm 142, another one of the Psalms David wrote in the bowels of the earth, a deep, dark, damp, nasty place. And this is his encounter with God that he shares with us in Psalm 142. I want to talk first of all about the cry of faith. We see this in the first two verses here, the cry of faith. David says this, I cry out to the Lord, I plead for the Lord's mercy, I pour out my complaints before him, and I tell him all my troubles. Look at the three verbs that David uses there when you're in a cave and you're crying out to God. First of all, he says, I cry out, and then he says, I plead, and then he says, I pour out my complaints before him. I want you to see the passion of what's taking place here. I shared with you a few weeks ago, there's nothing like a crisis to turn up the, the heat and the volume and the intensity of your prayer life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's so easy to be religious when life's going pretty good, and we pray religious prayers. But how many of you know when all hell is breaking loose, you throw your religious prayers out the window, and you get real with God? And what do you do? You just start, you just start crying out to Him, like in a loud voice. In fact, that word in the Hebrew means a very loud cry. Imagine David in this dark cave, screaming at the top of his lungs, crying out to God, hearing his cries echoing through the, all the chambers of that cave. This was a real moment for David. It was, a, it was a deep, dark moment in David's life. He cries out. He pours his heart out like liquid. Imagine pouring your heart out on the ground like liquid before the Lord, so literally that there's nothing left. Remember last week when, when Apostle was teaching, it says in that passage, David cried and cried and cried until there were no tears left. Have anybody ever been there before? When you've wept so hard and you've wept so long that there's literally nothing left to come out of you. This is where David's at. 
And it says thirdly here, he pours out all of his complaints to the Lord. Now I want to, I shared this a few weeks ago, that God is not offended by the fact that we confess what's going on in our lives. Sometimes I've seen two different kinds of Christians in the world, all right? The first kind of Christian is the person who thinks it's sinful to even suggest that there's anything going wrong in their lives. It's a lack of faith. You ever know people like that? You come up to them, I'll pick on Rex, I say, Rex, how you doing? Rex might be having the worst week of his life, but he's been conditioned because he's been raised in church, he's been conditioned to give these little slappy, happy, sappy Christian answers like, praise the Lord, brother, I'm blessed. Hallelujah. Well, he's not, he is blessed, but he's not in a blessed season. He's in a difficult season. But we give these little, these little happy, clappy things that make everybody seem like we're perfect. And I'm just telling you, that's not really faith. That's denial. David poured out his complaints to the Lord. In other words, he was in a difficult place, and he was telling God about it. Now, let me just tell you this. Does it not seem strange to anybody in this room that David poured out his, his complaints to a God who's already all-knowing? So why was David pouring out his complaints to God? It was for David's heart. Now let me tell you the other kind of people, and this is not good. Don't pour out your complaints on Facebook. I have never understood why somebody vomits from the depth of their being all their problems to their fake friends on Facebook. You and I both know we don't have 4,328 friends in real life. They're fake friends. Some of them are just there to keep a track of what's going on in our lives. Whether it's for good reasons or bad reasons, you know what I'm talking about. Don't pour out your complaints to people who have no power or to a medium that has no power to help you. But do pour out your complaints to the Lord. And I want to encourage us that, you know, there are times, am I talking to the right bunch here? There are times when you're just going, Lord, I don't understand why this is going on. In fact, I've been living righteously before you. In fact, you know, I've been honoring you. Have you ever had the time when you, when you did the generous thing like Brent did to, to Jerry, and then you find out that the job you thought you had just fell through? And the money, the check that you just wrote to your brother that you're blessing and you're feeling like God's so proud of you. And now you're thinking, I'm going to be short this week. Am I talking to the right crowd? That's when you go to the Lord and you say, wait a minute. I thought you laid that thing on my heart and I just did that. And then why is this happening? You may know what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to tell you, God is not offended by that. In fact, David wrote Psalm 142, but how many of you know the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit? So David doesn't need correction here. David is serving as a model for us. He's showing us in your darkest time, what do you do? You pour your heart out to the Lord. You lay your complaint out before God. You, you state your case before him. You're real with God. You're, in fact, David is so raw and so real that sometimes it's, it's like, wow, that is really in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I get comforted by David's rawness because he's not a religious guy. He's a soldier, He's a, he's a shepherd. He kills animals with his hands. I mean, David is a tough guy. And I want you to see the same person that killed the giant is now in one of the weakest moments of his life in Psalm 142, and he feels very vulnerable and defenseless. 
Have any of you ever been there? I've come out of seasons in my life where I felt like I could take the devil down and body slam him and show him a thing or two. And then a week later, I'm going through a crisis and the devil knows just how to hit me in my area of insecurity. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you feel like, you, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't beat up a, a, an ant. You're, 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 you feel powerless. The same prophet Elijah that spoke to the prophets of Baal and called fire down from heaven and a couple of chapters later, he's running for his life from, the, from Jezebel, and he's, he's scared to death, and he feels so weak. What happened? How, let me just remind us. How many of you know we're just a moment away outside of the grace of God from moving in the power and anointing of God to falling flat on our face, every one of us? We have to watch pride. We have to watch independence, do we not? And I'll just tell you, God sets up caves not to harm you but to bring forth things out of our life like humility and dependence and increase our prayer life and cause us to get before God, cause us to pour our heart out before him. These are good things. So his prayer, number one, his prayer is directed to the Lord, not to other people at that moment. Secondly, this is important. What is the focus of David's prayer? Look at what it says. It says, I plead for the Lord's mercy. Mercy is his focus. Now, I want to remind you that it's especially hard to receive from anybody, especially, you know, let's just pretend like Brent and Jerry um, were enemies, and, and Brent came up and did the same thing to Jerry. What would be going on in Jerry's heart? He'd be like, I can't take this from you. I was just talking bad about you. I was just cutting you down. I was just ripping on you with some other guys. I can't take this blessing from you. Why would he be feeling that way? Because he's guilty. And he realizes that it's hard to receive blessing from somebody that you've been an enemy towards or that you've not acted well towards. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is the good news about mercy. It is completely undeserved. If you are born again in this room, I mean, if you know your salvation was not on the basis of anything that you did. You contributed nothing. Nothing. Well, let me just show you that one. Let me jump back into the scripture here. The mercy of God is free. Look at Titus 3, verse 4 and 5. Should be on our screen. Titus 3, 4 and 5. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, check this out, not because of the righteous things that we had done, because there were none, but he saved us because of his mercy. This is the point. Some of us get in caves because of our own sin. Have you ever been there? You're not in a cave because the devil's doing something. You're in a cave because of the poor choices that you made or that I made. That's why we're in the cave. Uh, we're being disciplined for the lousy choices that we've made. Uh, it's terrible to, re- to walk in the fruit of your own bad decisions, especially when we're living in rebellion and sin. Those are terrible places to be. But here's the good news. On your worst day, the mercy of God's waiting for you. On your worst day, when you feel like you've done nothing to deserve it, in fact, you've been running from God. There might be somebody here today, you've been running from God. I got good news for you. The mercy of God is free. That means if you're driving by and you look over and there's a sign that has a bunch of treasures on a table and it says free, what does that mean? That means if you go there and you see something on the table and the sign says free, take as much as you need, that means if you're smart and what's on that table is valuable, you'll start filling your sack up with the whole thing. You know what I'm talking about. Now here's the good news. Not only is God's mercy free, but here's something secondary about God's mercy we need to get in our hearts today. God's mercy is overflowing and it's inexhaustible. Look at what Ephesians 2, 4 says. God is so rich in mercy. Go back to our illustration this morning. 
If Brent was a gazillionaire, if he was, a, if he was worth billions, and he said to Jerry, don't worry about it, I'll pay your salary this week. If you were Jerry, would that make it any easier to receive his blessing? Well, I hope it would because you realize you're not even denting his, his net worth. Uh, it was pocket change. It was like he tossed you a nickel. He's so rich. Listen to me. God is so rich with mercy that when you're greedy and you're, you're, a, you're a mercy hog or a grace hog, like I said my wife is, you know, she is. She's a, she's a mercy hog. That's her own language too, by the way. I, I would never call my wife a hog or anything like that. But, <laughs> but, uh, but she says, I'm a mercy hog, I'm a grace hog. What does that mean? It means she constantly accesses the mercy and grace of God every day, multiple times a day. Why? Because she's needy. Guess what? Needy in the kingdom of God is a great quality. So I, I'm just so needy. I need lots of grace. God's like, that's my girl. That's my boy. Because being needy in the kingdom is an honor. It means you're humble. It means you're dependent, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So here's what I want to encourage all of us. If we were just, all of us became instant mercy hogs overnight, we would not even dent the mercy of God. He is so rich in his mercy. Isn't that good to know? And look at the last point here. God's mercy is eternal. Psalm 136 repeats a refrain over and over and over again, 26 times in one psalm. This is the phrase that's repeated over and over. His mercy endures forever. Say it with me. His mercy endures forever. Let's say it again. His mercy endures forever, which means we will constantly be getting mercy from God throughout all eternity. And we will never, ever dent the amount of mercy that God has to give. This is good news. I like what Thomas Watson, the old Puritan pastor, says. He says, as long as he is God, he will be showing mercy. As his mercy is overflowing, so it is ever flowing. Isn't that good? As his mercy is overflowing, it is ever flowing, which means it will always be there for us. So let me get to the final point here as it relates to crying out to the Lord in prayer. Direct your prayers to the Lord. Focus on God's mercy when you're crying out. And thirdly, and this is a little bit of a corrective here, the, the cry of faith affirms and it never attacks God's character. What I don't want you to hear me saying when I'm talking about being raw and real with God, I've, I've counseled with people before they come in, they're all angry, and I say, you know, what's going on? I'm mad. Well, who are you mad at? God. Well, who do you need to forgive? Oh, God. That is a stupid place to be. That, that is stupid on steroids right there. When I'm talking about being real with God, I am never, ever, ever talking about attacking the character of God. Because when you start venting your anger at God, when you start blaming God, when you start accusing God, when you start questioning God, I mean, you know, it's one thing to ask God a question. It's another thing to question God. What does Satan do? Satan always attacks the character of God. He goes after the character of God. Well, God's not good. If God was good, why would this be happening? Well, God's not a provider. If God's a provider, then why are you suffering lack? If God's a healer, then why do you still have pain? If God's a restorer of relationships, why are you still separated? Why, 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 why? Every one of those questions is not a genuine why. It is a slap in the face of God, and it's an assault on his character. You will never get out of your pit if you're attacking the one, the only one who can get you out of that pit. You'll never get out. And so 
Let me just tell you, if you're, if you're mad at God, the devil's pulled a wool over your eyes. You've been absolutely duped. If you think you need to forgive God, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie or have to repent of anything because God is perfect in all of his ways. We just sang about that. So here's what you do. When the devil starts whispering and looking for agreement from you, you start saying, Lord, I thank you. You're perfect in all your ways. God, I thank you. Your mercies are new every morning. God, I thank you. I might be in this pit right now, and it's really dark, but you are my light and my salvation, and I'm putting my trust in you. You start fighting the attacks in your mind with the truth of who God is by appealing to God's character, and you start declaring the truth about your situation. Now, let me just tell you something. If you're not in the Word of God, you got nothing to say. If you're not grabbing a hold of the lifeline of Scripture, then you are dumbfounded, and and you might as well be deaf and dumb at that moment because the devil will just beat you and beat you and beat you. And how many of you know when you start chasing that that, that tail in your brain, like the dog chasing its tail, you can be down in a dark place in a short time. Anybody ever been there? You just start listening, and you just start listening, and before you know it, you're agreeing, and then you're agreeing some more, and now you're preaching. Now you join the devil. You say, hey, you be quiet for a while. Let me, let me assault God's character. Let me say how bad God is, and before you know it, you're in a, you're in a deeper place, a deeper pit. Never attack the character of God. Affirm the character of God, because what's trying to happen? God's trying to establish your faith in the midst of a dark place. It's easy to have faith when you're on the mountaintop and the sun's shining. It's hard to have faith when you're in the bowels of the earth and there's no light around you and no person around you. That's where faith has to be developed. So speak the word of the Lord. Don't ever assault the character of God. Worship the character of God. Thank God for what he's going to do. It might have materialized yet, but you're going to thank him because you know his character and because his mercy is eternal. He is never going to leave you. Let's talk a little bit about the stand of faith. Let's look at these next few verses here. I want to highlight something here this morning, that faith is personal. Faith is personal. It's not a corporate faith. It's a personal faith. You've heard that phrase before, God doesn't have any grandkids. Well, what does that mean? It means you never get into the kingdom based on the relationship that your parents or that your grandma or your grandpa or your aunt or your uncle or your friend have with the Lord. How many of you know you get into the kingdom because of the relationship that you have with Jesus personally? Faith has to be personal. It can't be, well, I go to that church. It has to be, that's my church. It can't be, well, I, they worship that God. It has to be your God. It can't be, well, Jesus died for the sins of the world. No, Jesus died for my sins. It has to be personal. And when you're in the cave, you need to encounter Jesus personally. That's, in fact, that's the purpose of the cave. Look at the first person language that David uses here. In verse 1, I cry. Verse 2, I plead and I pour. Verse 3, I am, I go. Verse 4, I look. Verse 5, I pray, I say. Notice all the I, 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 I. You know, the other day I was praying with the Lord and I realized how much I use plural language, probably because I'm a pastor and probably because part of my job is to lead us as a church family. So I'll say things like this. We praise you, Lord. And the Lord caught me one day and he said, hey, who else is in this room? And I kind of laughed because I realized, uh, me, myself, and I, we praise you, Lord. No, what the Lord was after was, I praise you. I love you. Not we love you. I love you. I trust you. How many know there's a big difference when you make it first person? You say that to him. You let him minister back to you. 
it's good. So God has to be our personal God. Second thing about faith, not only is it personal, but I want to drive this home this morning. This is for some of you, for all of us actually, but some of you might be dealing with this. I had to overcome a situation this week. Faith overcomes feelings. Faith overcomes feelings. Look what David says in verse 3 and 4. When I'm overwhelmed, any of you ever been there? When I'm overwhelmed with life, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. And look at verse 4. Tell me if this is not something we all deal with. David says, I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit about what happens to me. Any of you ever felt that way? Let me just say this. I know there are probably lots of people, maybe even listening to, to this podcast, uh, there are some people that are listening at home because they've they got some physical situations going on. And how many of you know we need to make sure we do a good job of visiting people who are homebound because of the season in their life? We, we need to visit people. We need to love people. We need to make sure that people that are sick and can't be with us, we can go love them and pray for them. But I know there's a lot of Christians that take offenses at church. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is what usually happens. You don't show up for a Sunday. Now, then you miss another Sunday for whatever reason, and then you miss another Sunday. And this is the way the devil starts talking to you. No one at church even misses you. They don't care about you. They don't care about you. No one there will help you. Have you ever heard that whisper in your ear? If you listen carefully enough, you'll hear the whisper of hell itself because that's the devil's language again. He's pounding on you. Let me remind us of a couple things. First of all, can everybody agree with me that there is not a person in this place that if we knew that somebody had a legitimate need that we could help would not go to you and want to help you? Am I speaking to the right crowd here today? It's not that people fall through the cracks because nobody loves them and nobody cares. Sometimes stuff like that happens. Sometimes it's just through our own failures, through our own weaknesses, whatever, through our own oversight. How many know we're all human? And I just want to encourage us, all of us here today, Please, if you're ever down and out and something's going on in your life and you're in a cave, can you pick up that phone and please call this church or call somebody in your life that goes to this church and say, help? Because I guarantee you, resources will be marshaled, people will be gathered, and people will help pull you out of that cave. There's not a single one of us in this place that's mean-hearted and doesn't love you or doesn't care about you. You got to believe that. Um, But sometimes things happen. Let me remind you of something else. As soon as you start saying, well, Kenny doesn't care about me. Kenny's my life group leader, and Kenny didn't call me. I'm pointing at Kenny, but I got three fingers pointing right back at me. Because let me just ask you a question. This is a good question. When you feel like nobody cares about you, when is the last time you started caring about somebody else? I'm not picking on you. I'm just asking. When you're feeling like you're all alone, where is everybody? Why don't you go find somebody who's all alone, and now there'll be two of you, and you'll no longer be alone. You know, some of this is the very things that we're so quick to judge the church about, or leaders about, or our our brothers and sisters about, are the very things that maybe God's trying to do something. In fact, let me just throw this in. Let me just probe this one. Could it be that the loneliness that you experience at certain times is God-orchestrated? You know, Apostle Tetzola shared about this gentleman that was trying to get in touch with him all the way from Africa. Remember that story? 
and he called and he called and he called and he called and he never made any contact. Nobody at the church answered the phone. I've heard people say that. I called the church, nobody answered. We pay a very wonderful lady to sit at her desk and wait for your call. Now, could she have been out of the office momentarily? She could have been. But here's the deeper question. Was she away just so that God could go after something in you? Is God trying to set you up so God can deal with you alone? Is God trying to deal with your heart that always takes offenses? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. There have been times in my life when I felt like God pulled out all the props and I felt incredibly alone. And let me just tell you something. When you have nobody in your life and you feel like you have no friends and you feel like nobody cares and you go to the Lord and you are overwhelmed with his presence, it's a game changer. (laughs) Because God is not trying to destroy us God is not trying to banish us to a place of loneliness. God is trying to reveal his greatness to us at our life's most difficult moments. And sometimes God puts you out on the Isle of Patmos. Sometimes God abandons you to a place of aloneness from people so that God can go after you. And so that God can show you that he'll never leave you or forsake you and that you always have a constant source of help in him. So how about this? Maybe he tries to break our codependency. Maybe he tries to break our reliance upon our friends and our phones and our other sources of comfort. Not always because those are lifelines. You are lifelines. People are lifelines. The relationships in the church are lifelines. But I'm saying sometimes, sometimes, God fixes a fix that's designed to fix us, if you know what I'm talking about. And sometimes he does that when we're all alone. He did it with Jacob. Jacob had to wrestle God all by himself when he crossed over the brook of Jabbok. He had to wrestle God all by himself. No one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. Nobody cares. Well, I got news for you as well. You know, this week we celebrate the most perfect person who ever lived, Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God. Jesus Christ raised up 70 disciples that he mentored and trained. You know, he had the, he had the three, he had the 12, he had the 70. Uh, so at least, he had at least 70, all right? How many of the 70 were standing with Jesus when he stood before the Roman uh, courts and was tried and condemned to die? How many, how many of the 70 stood with him? None. How many people did Jesus heal? How many lame people walked? How many demonized people had devils cast out of them? How many lame received their legs back? How many deaf and dumb were able to hear and speak? How many? Innumerable. How many stood with Jesus in his moment when he needed them the most? None. Because here's the third principle about faith, is faith is willing to stand alone if necessary. And I just want to tell you this. Every person who has been greatly used by God as at one point or another in their journey, had to stand alone. I heard uh, Brian Houston on a podcast this week. He said, you know, my, my concern with many of the younger leaders that I run into these days is that they have very small capacity for opposition and for trials and for suffering. They have very small capacity. 
As soon as something starts heating up, they start freaking out and they start losing their faith. They start, they start uh, wigging out with the situation. He said, we have to raise leaders who have greater capacities for the trials and the challenges that come with pursuing Jesus in this world. Every great leader will be shaped by the Lord, not through the good times and comforts and conveniences of life, but we're shaped to lead through the difficult seasons of our lives. And if you'll look, and that's why I love reading biographies, if you'll look and read the biographies of great men and women throughout history, you will not find that the great ones had, had cushy lives. You'll find just the opposite. You'll find that when you read about what went on behind the scenes, that they went through some incredibly, incredibly difficult, painful times. And some of them, that's when they found that the only strength, the only person they could rely on was God himself. I'm just saying if you want to be invited to follow Christ and you want to be invited to live life right, you want to live on the edge and you want to live in faith and you want to honor God and you want to love people well, there's going to be many, many times when you say, God, what's going on? But I want to remind you that we have a leader named Jesus who modeled all this for us who even went so far on that cross to say, Father, why have you forsaken me when God himself had to turn his head when the sin of you and me was laid upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus experienced ultimate aloneness. He did that so that when you're going through your most difficult low season in life, you don't throw accusations against the greatness of God you remind yourself that God experienced loneliness at a greater level than we could ever, ever imagine. And that he came out on the other side. And that you're going to come out on the other side. You're going to come out stronger. You're going to come out with more of God. You're going to come out with a heart that loves more. You're going to come out with more patience. You're going to come out with more compassion for people who are in their cave season when you're not. And you're going to be able to minister to them. I remember during a particularly difficult season of my life, when I was in a cave, when I could not pray for anybody at this altar without bawling my eyes out with, for everybody that I prayed. Because it was in that season that God broke me and touched me with my own pain that all of a sudden I became very aware of what other people are going through. I thank God that he crushed me. I thank God that he broke me. I thank God that I was softened through pain because pastors are better when they've been broken themselves. I want to love better. I want to be faithful. I want to love even when you feel like you're alone. I don't know about you. Anybody else with me on that? Then if, you're, if that's what you want, you will go through cave time. And in the cave time, you're going to find out that the Lord is there with you, even when you feel like nobody else is. Let me go to the last part here. I want you to read with me verses 6 and 7. Six and seven. I want to talk about the hope of faith. Listen to what David says in verse six. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. Look at this next line. You are all I really want in life. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I'm very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, this dungeon that he's in, this cave that he's in, so I can thank you, so I can give you praise. The godly will crowd around me, 
for you are good to me. He went from saying no one, no one, no one, no one to listen to his final declaration. All the godly people are going to crowd around me. He's no longer alone. He's prophesying the day when he's going to be surrounded by godly friends. Why? Why? Listen to this. Because he says, Lord, you are good to me. Can you say that where you're at right now? Can you declare that to God that no matter what you're going through right now, can you lift your hands and just say, God, you are a good God. And God, you are good to me. I don't understand it, Lord. I don't, under, I don't get it. I don't have to. But my declaration is you are good to me. You're good to me. When you fill your heart with praise and you thank God for his goodness, you're making an appeal to his mercy. And I just got to say this. You know, David, we knew at times, was surrounded by at least 400 guys that were willing to die for him. They were a misfit, ragtag bunch of guys, but David loved them and poured his life into them, and they were some of his best, most, most loyal men by the time that they were all done. But there were times with a big crowd, but this time when David's writing, he's all alone. He doesn't have anybody around him. But this is what he says. He says, God, you are all that I really want. I just want to share this with you. That God's goal in some of this cave time is just to break us down, our our pride, our independence, to expose the idols in our life. You know, let me ask you this question. If, if, God forbid, but if something happened to you financially and you were fired or or if something happened that was absolutely catastrophic financially and you lost everything, what if, like Pastor Dick would say, what if your house went up in flames and everything in your house that was valuable and precious to you was destroyed? Would you still say, Lord, you are good to me and I am satisfied in you or would you curse God because your stuff's gone? You know, what, what if your spouse went home to be with the Lord unexpectedly? Would you be able to say, God, thank you for your goodness in my life. And Lord, I trust you. And Lord, when it comes down to it, you're all that I really want in this life. Just think of all the things that are our go-tos for comfort, for security. And think about what it would be like if every single thing was stripped away. You know, thank God we have somebody in the Bible to show us the way. His name is Job. He lost everything, lost his kids, lost his wife, lost his house. Well, he lost his wife in the sense that she lost her relationship with God in the whole midst of a curse, told him curse God and die. Um, but he lost everything valuable to him. He lost his stuff, lost his livestock, lost his home, lost his belongings, lost his health. Health was destroyed, lived in excruciating pain for God only knows how long. But here's the point. When everything's stripped away, Job was able to lift his hands and say this, God, naked I came into this world. I'm not leaving with anything. Nothing's leaving except for my spirit. My, my soul, man, uh, is, was made to worship you and know you. God, even my body, you're going to resurrect on the last day and give me a new one. So, Lord, I just praise you in the midst of the fire. That's called worship, and that, that's called intimacy with God. I close with one verse here. I love it. It's from the Passion Translation. I know some of you love the Passion Translation uh, as well. This is from Psalm 63, verses 2 and 3. I love this. I am energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to see more of your power and drink more of your glory. David was energized no matter where he was by entering the presence of God. And look at verse 3. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. 
How I love and praise you, O God. Your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. I heard Charles Spurgeon say this one time. Charles Spurgeon went through all kinds of crises, went through an incredible amount of health issues in his life as well. But this is what Spurgeon said. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Isn't that good? Waves will come that will knock you off your feet and they will throw you into the rocks. But he didn't see the rocks as being harmful. He saw the rock as being the rock of ages. And so when the waves of this life knock you off your feet, they're throwing you into the arms of the rock of ages. The goal is not for the wave to harm you. The goal is for the wave to help move you into the arms of the greatness of our God so that we experience him in ways we never would have experienced him before. Every one of you in this room has been through a difficult season. You came out on the other side. You would never, ever want to go through that season again, but you're so grateful that you did. Isn't that the truth? You, like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it in for anything. I don't want to go back there, but I wouldn't trade it in for anything because you know that it was in that season when God did something in you that left a mark and changed you forever. You know, Charlie, with you and your dad right now, you're, you're in a season where a cave was used by God to, to birth a whole bunch of new things, new relationship, new love, new coming together, new life, new lease on life. Um, but this is, this is just like Lazarus. You know, Lazarus got raised from the dead, but he died again um, because we all die this side of eternity again, do we not? But this is the beauty of it. God's doing something here in you and your dad that's gonna go on forever and ever, and ever, and ever. I'm grateful for this resurrection and for this new season. But the cave is producing something amazing. So here's what I say. Don't waste the cave. Don't waste the crisis. Thank God. Find God in the middle of what you're going through and drink it in and let God transform you because his goal is to give himself in a greater way to you and I. That's his goal. The gift in the crisis is God himself. And I love this quote by John Piper. He says this, Um, God is most glorified in me and in you when we are most satisfied in him. What does that mean, pastor? That means the way you give God the most glory is by demonstrating the greatest satisfaction. Here's how you do that. You say this, you know what? I love the Lord more than life itself. I love the Lord more than anything. God, take everything this world has. Give me Jesus. That's what it says. I love Jesus. Jesus, you are the center. Strip away the idols. Cause my heart to burn for you and for you alone. Lord, thanks for all the blessings around me. But if they all disappeared, God, I want to love you and I want to praise you for your goodness in my life. That's what it means to be satisfied with God. It means you're not content, contingent upon anything ex- external that's going on, that your satisfaction is in the person of Jesus Christ, and you love him more than anything. Y'all know what I'm talking about this morning? That's God's goal in your life. That's what he wants, to be preeminent. If any of you are in caves, I want you, all of you to stand to your feet, not just our cave dwellers, all of you. We want to we pull some people out of caves this morning, and I want to encourage our, our leadership team to join me up front. We want to pray for some of you. We had a lot of people coming forward for service just dealing with with life. I just want to tell you, too, as your pastor, if we've ever let you down by not being there the way we should have, please forgive us. That wasn't our heart at all. I don't want anybody in in our church family to have wounds against our church or against the people in our church. Just help us love better, all right? It means we probably need you to help us love better. Um, But let's commit to loving one another and to being a 
you know, who were those guys during uh, World War II on Iwo Jima? The guys would go down in the holes to find the bad guys. And uh, sometimes we need to go down in caves and kill a few devils and rescue some people that are down in the caves. That's, that's what we want to do this morning. As we're, yeah, as we're getting ready to launch in to a great week of celebration, I just want to make sure everybody's out of your cave, all right, or you or you're at least know the right direction. So if you need prayer, come on down. Marriage class today at 4 o'clock, we're in a great series uh, on love and respect. You'll love it. Let me pray for you, and if you need prayer, come on down, all right? Lord, we worship you, and we declare that you are good, and you're good to me. You're good to us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for mercy. Lord, we cry out even now for your mercy. Lord, we are desperate for breakthroughs in so many areas. God, meet your people. God, pour out mercy in in your super abundance, Lord. Pour it out over our lives right now. We pray for breakthroughs relationally, breakthroughs in health, God, breakthroughs in every dimension. Lord, wherever somebody feels like they're down and out and alone this morning, we break off discouragement and depression off of their hearts and over their minds. And Lord, we pray that the joy of the Lord would be released in this place. And God, that we would find you and enjoy you and drink from you and be intoxicated, Lord, by your presence. Lord Jesus, visit us and encounter us and change us and use us, Lord God, for your glory, we pray. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down. Also, don't forget, take a stroll through the nursery. It's really gorgeous. I think you'll be encouraged. And uh, we'll see you at 4 o'clock for marriage class.